Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideau, joined as always by my partner Teddy Atlas. Today's episode is going to be a um, quick one. We wanted to um, give our condolences on the passing of one of the greatest lightweights in the history of boxing, Pernell Whitaker. I know Teddy, you have some thoughts on the subject, so I want to turn it over to you. Take it away. Yeah, he was. I'm very careful about making comparisons in the different eras and I'm very respectful of all eras and maybe especially so of the the golden age of boxing when the sport was the biggest sport in the country bigger than baseball and there were clubs all over the country uh, you could go into any city and there could be two, three, four major cities anyway four, five, six clubs uh, boxing clubs where you could get action, where there could be fights where fighters could hone their skills. And that's why you had so many fighters and so many good fighters. And you had real trainers too. You had more desperate times. You had a lot of things. Things were different in a lot of crafts and a lot of areas in, in the world, in the country. Um, no different in boxing. You you had uh, people that were climbing out of their difficult places through the sport. Uh, sometimes baseball, but boxing was the sport. The immigrants coming to this country, all of them, it was their opportunity to get to that next place, to climb up, coming through boxing. So you had some of the greatest fighters from, you're talking about the 20s to 30s to 40s, 50s, where, again, you had this atmosphere, this environment. If you were a cropper, if you were a farmer, the soil was perfect to farm your crops to plant your seeds you know there were nitrates in the soil uh the sunshine there was enough irrigation it was perfect you could you could make more fighters because there were more clubs more places to develop fighters you had fighters like henry armstrong who had 300 fights and and benny Leonard who had, I remember, maybe 160 fights, whatever. You had Barney Ross, you had Lou Ambers, Tony Cantoneri, Ike Williams. You had a generation, again, of, of great fighters that learned from fighting, learned from training, uh, having the availability. Again, if you're going to be a great surgeon, you have to have an opportunity to do a lot of surgeries. You can't be doing one surgery a year and be a great surgeon. You're going to be a great fighter. You can be greater in some ways. I, I think most people would say it's fair to assess that if you could fight 20, 30 times. Nowadays, you fight three, four times. It's like you're busy once you get to that level. Yeah. Guys like Henry Armstrong were fighting 30 times a year and, and significant fights. So there's no, there's a reason why I thought that time and era gave us some of the greatest fighters. So I'm very careful when I go and say that a fighter of the newer generation, of the more modern generation, of the contemporary, uh, would be able to match in there. Pernell Whitaker matched in there. He matched in there with any generation, any era, any. He was great. He was great. Uh, he did all the things to sweet science. He He could have been the author of the sweet science in some ways. When they coined that phrase, that moniker, you know, it's supposed to be about being clever. He was clever. The old timers would say, he's standing right in front of you, couldn't hit him in the backside with a handful of buckshot. And that was the greatest compliment you could give a fighter back in those days because 
taken nothing away from Ali and people that used their legs, you know, and pioneers like Ali that changed things. Jim Corbett, gentleman Jim Corbett back in the day when he started moving around, when heavyweights used to stand in front of you and change things. But there was something special about a guy, Maxie Rosenblum, uh, Slapsy Maxie, light heavyweight champ back in the, in the years that I'm talking way back in the golden era. There was something special about a guy who could stay right in front of you hop, 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 and be calm enough to see everything coming, have radar, and, and you couldn't touch him. That was Pinnell Whitaker. He was special. And there was a special boyish, almost boyish innocence to him all through his life that I knew when I knew him. Uh, that was, listen, nobody's perfect. No one's a saint. He had problems. He had demons. Uh, we all do. Uh, he... Uh, there's there's no secret about that, but he was a good person. He was a great fighter, uh, and and still a decent person. He hurt himself. He hurt himself with with some of these demons, but not in any kind of vicious way where he hurt other people. Uh, he, I really cared about him. He was a he was a guy I got to know through the Duvers. The Duvers were the king back then. Main events. They had all the best fighters. Pinel Whitaker was one of them. And when they started this pound-for-pound pound thing, uh, Pinnell Whitaker was, was the first guy that I can remember thinking about back in those days because you didn't go back in the 30s and they really talk pound-for-pound pound or the 40s. Uh, you know, now you talk about all-time greats. You talk about Sugar Ray Robinson, people like that, Henry Armstrong, Sam Langford for me, people like that. But you talk about when they were starting the pound-for-pound conversation Pinnell Whitaker was the first name that really came out of that conversation he was that good he was that special gold medalist in the Olympics he had everything uh, and he enjoyed doing what he did you know he had fun in there you know he he brought his own music you know he he, he was like that great jazz you know, artists, Louis Armstrong or any of the great ones that could create the beat as he did it, his own beat, his own music. You know, it was him. It was Pinnell. It was Pinnell. He was, he was, um, he was special and he was sweet. You know, he's sweet to watch his talent, Sweet Pea. That was his name, but it was his talent was sweet, but his personality was sweet too. You know, he was, again, he was, nobody's perfect. We all have our warts. We all have our problems. But uh, he was a guy that his disposition, his temperament, personality, he was a sweet guy. He was uh, he was sweet pea. And I'm going to miss him. You know, a lot of people are going to miss him. He, one of the sad things for me, one of the worst things that I did professionally in my career, I had to do, you do your job. Um, you know, I've had, I've been blessed in my career, 22 years calling fights at ESPN. Uh, and I appreciate all of it. Appreciate the fans letting me do it. And, but one thing that I, with all the great fights I got to call and all the great fighters I got to call and, and know and, and see and witness the one that, in some ways, I wish I never did was 
I did Pernell Whitaker's last fight with a guy named Bohorkas. And not knocking Bohorkas, he it was out of Pernell's weight class by that time. I think it was at junior middleweight or I think it was past welterweight. I think it was junior middleweight at that time. Is, am I correct about that? Yeah. And it was on ESPN, and Pernell had been off for a couple of years. It was at the end of his career. It turned out to be his last fight. And it's the only time that he didn't go the distance. You know, I remember you saying to me earlier today, you know, he only got stopped once. I'll correct you. He didn't get stopped. You know, he, yeah, he didn't go. You're right. You're technically right, Ken. It's going to show up on the records, but nobody stopped Pernell. Nobody stopped Pernell. Nobody could hit him to stop him. At, at that point, he shouldn't have been in the ring. that point, he was, you know, it was a shell of himself or less. And like I said, it was one of the sad points in my professional career that I had to call that fight. I I was sad that I had to be saying the things I was saying and trying to explain them, that this isn't really Pinnell. Yeah. You know, this is an imposter. It's always sad to see, especially in boxing, when a fighter's uh, skills start to diminish and he takes one or two fights too many. We've seen it happen with a few guys. Roy Jones, it's... it's Oh, very much. And, you know, it's it doesn't get better. And... But he didn't get stopped. And, and I'm not making... No one has to make excuses for great ones. But I believe his shoulder uh, came out of socket. I believe he separated his shoulder or dislocated his shoulder, something where he couldn't continue. So to me, Pinnell was never stopped. But it's, and, it's worth noting that the last two fights he had were spread out over four years. So he stopped really fighting in like 19, 1997. He had his second loss of his career against Oscar De La Hoya. He lost a unanimous decision. And then he, lost, he had a no- And even at that evaporated version of Pinnell at that point with De La Hoya, I'm so glad you brought that up, Ken. I, I thought he could have won that fight, and it, and it was a, he was a shadow of himself. And De La Hoya and, was twenty three and zero at the time. Yeah, he was at and, his prime, and and Pinnell wasn't in the best of shape. He, I mean, at that time he was taking fights sometimes not in the best, real top shape that he normally would have been, and he was past himself. And I still thought he could have won that fight. I mean. That's how close that fight was. And I might have thought if my memory serves me right, I might have thought he won it. And maybe it was prejudiced a little bit. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. It's possible. Because I I love Pinnell. And I, you know, and, um, but it was a real close fight. Even at that point in his career, he's fighting the best fighter in boxing, De La Hoya, arguably. And, and he's, you know, it could go either way. And that was in 97. His first pro fight was in 84. And as you and I were looking through his record, I was looking through. I said, oh, he had his first loss relatively early. Fit 16th fight. Oh, he lost to a guy, Joe, <laughs> Jose Luis Ramirez. And you said, yeah, what's Jose Luis's record? And then I look across. 100 wins and six losses, and it was for a WBC lightweight. He got title. robbed. He got robbed in that fight. He boxed rings around split his, decision. Box, box circles around him. Did what you're supposed to do with a guy like Ramirez. Good puncher, strong, but but lead footed, but but uh, you know always coming in plotting, but real strong, good puncher, to granite chin, uh, you know, historic, uh, classic. Um, uh, really a legendary Mexican fighter, I would say almost to that level. And he, you know, he, he outboxed him. He used the ring as Pinnell could do. He could stand right in front of you or he could use the ring. He, he had, he had wheels to go when he needed to and he had the head movement, which is, was his forte. And 
he used his legs in that fight against Ramirez. He got robbed. He fought him again. He, he, he a year won. and a half later, yeah. he came back and beat he, him unanimous decision it. convincingly. Yeah. So there's he's only got what four losses, I believe. Four, Forty wins, four losses, one uh, draw. And you could defend those losses. You could say that a few of them he got robbed. The draw against Chavez, he got robbed. Uh, the great Chavez, one of the great fighters of all time. Penel Whitaker belongs on a list of great lightweights of all time. And and again, I'm always careful when I compare guys to that era that I just talked about, where you could have 300 fights and 200 fights and 150 fights, professional fights, not amateur fights. And Penel Whitaker, I have no problem, no problem putting him in there with the greatest of all time. And uh, he was just, uh, it's sad to know he's gone. You know, and today is July 16th, so it's only been 48 hours. He passed away on the evening of the 14th. I remember one 14th. time he moved up. I'm sorry, Ken. He yeah. moved up to junior middleweight late in his career, and he beat Julio Cesar Vasquez, who was a strong guy, strong, good puncher, way out of his weight class, super middleweight. Uh, Pinnell was a lightweight. And he moved up, and he fought him, and he beat him. Uh, and Vasquez was, I believe, 53 and I believe he was 53, 53, and, one. 53 and 1 at the time. And um, interesting. Another side note: two, two or three fights before that fight against Vasquez, he fought the great Julio Cesar Chavez. Lost a majority decision. Uh, got sorry, got a draw against Julio Cesar Chavez. And Chavez's record at the time was eighty-seven and zero. Pretty good, <laughs> I'd say. Pretty good. And he did that in San in uh, San Antonio. Alamo Dome in San Antonio, so you can imagine that that was a pro-Chavez pro crowd with the Mexicans down there in Texas. And so to get that, uh, to get a draw, it's a damn good showing against a tough, tough Mexican fighter. Gonna be missed. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Teddy. Appreciate you. And um, yeah, sad day for uh, boxing. Anyway, thanks for being with us. Take care.